0: Well, let's look at Psalm 32, our passage for the evening. Let's, I'm going to read the, the whole psalm. It's 11 verses. I encourage you to, to follow in your translation. A psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause... Everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they would not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This Psalm 32 has often been coupled with psalm 51 psalm 51 is it is we're specifically told was the confession of david and over his sin with bathsheba and that's where one of those things where there's a historical information as part of the title in psalm 51 it read to the chief musician a psalm of david when nathan the prophet went into him, went to him after he had gone into bathsheba and so there's the picture of you know, remembering that time of confrontation how God challenged him through the prophet and, and David repented well if Psalm 51 is a picture and an example of repentance Psalm 32 is um, the joy that follows repentance and I can't the one problem is before we get too dogmatic this just says a Psalm of David a contemplation and so it, he doesn't say it's the direct corollary. The It isn't paired with Psalm 51. And, so, and interestingly, in the Psalter, Psalm 32 comes before Psalm 51. That's the sort of brilliant insight you came tonight to hear. Uh, and so I don't, you know, so, so in other words, I just don't want to be, I wouldn't want to be too dogmatic. If they do go together well, are they paired in, in that experience? Are they focused in that time? Or is Psalm 32 a more general expression? We can take it and, and, and st- as, as standing alone. What's interesting is, is David begins at the end with the result. And so in verses 1 and 2, he says, first of all, verse, and I, I like my translation, verse 0, a Psalm of David, a contemplation of or a, um, it's literally, the, and some of your translations might have just the Hebrew word amaskil, um, which has, it's related to the word of teaching or wisdom. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no joy. Well, I say this is the end result because he'll he'll go from here to talk about uh, sin. And, and here, and, and confession and the burden it caused him, and the confession. But he begins with, as I said at the end, the joy of knowing the forgiveness. And I think he does that for uh, just to help us in a, uh, recognize and be drawn into this uh, psalm. How can we know these blessings of God? And to help us see, too, that the true joy is not in the sin. That might have momentary happiness, but true joy is in a walk with the Lord that goes along with forgiveness and repentance. He begins really with the psalm when he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And that reminds us of Psalm 1. It's the same word, and, the, and this is the, the, only the second psalm that, that does that. Uh, it's the Hebrew word, literally blessings, or, and so I like to translate it, Oh, the blessings. In Psalm 1, uh, he was talking about uh, the blessings of the man who, who walks in the counsel of the Lord and who delights in his word and who prospers like a tree by, um, planted by the waters and who will stand in the judgment. Oh, the blessings of the one who's walking with the Lord. In Psalm 32, oh, the blessings of the one who's restored to a walk with the Lord. And so I think that's a nice parallel. Sometimes we might say, "Well, Psalm One is too late for me." Psalm Thirty-Two says, "Never too late, never too late." And it was uh, one of the preachers of a previous generation that used to say that God never tires of our new beginnings. God is always happy to welcome our repentance. So He begins with this sense of of joy. To, to help us see that's the attitude we should have towards the forgiveness and restoration of the Lord. Now, in, in these, just these couple of verses, he uses three different words uh, for, for sin. And you might just say, well, that's just kind of a literary thing. One of the things, if you've ever listened to Dr. Criswell, uh, still on the radio, his memorable uh, sermons. But he was, he was always a, a master of restatement. Uh, he would give you a word and then would give you another. I don't, he, I don't know if he just read the thesaurus for, for, for his fun reading, but he always would just kind of keep giving you varieties of ways of expressing it. Is David doing that or is he just trying to show? I think here the multifaceted aspects of sin. Well, he gives three key words here. Transgression. And transgression has the idea of rebellion, Defiance. I think it's important for us to see that sin is rebellion against God. See, one of the characteristics when you think of what Jesus, is, his, one of his titles is Lord, Sovereign, Master. Lord and Master and rebellion don't fit. And so one of the things that's characteristic of a follower of Christ is someone who has learned to submit. Because that's the first thing we do when we come to Christ. We recognize our sin, we confess it, we submit to him and trust. Sin, that is a transgression, is rebellion. And then he uses the, uh, the, the most common word for sin, sin. And that has basically the idea of missing the mark, falling short of God's standard. And, and one of the things that we're reminded is God is holy and wants complete obedience And so sin that doesn't measure up to God's standard um, dishonors him. When I see that word sin, I remember uh, uh, it's expressed, and I've I've expressed it this way. Uh, Sin reminds us, the S reminds us of the sounds of the snake. You know, uh, Satan introduced sin in the garden. So the S kind of reminds us of the the hissing of the snake, and it looks like a snake. Uh, The uh, I... Reminds us that at the center of sin is me, self-centered, focusing on myself. And the last word, N, reminds us that sin is ultimately saying no to God. And so sin, transgression, rebellion, sin, fall not being complete in our obedience to the Lord. Iniquity. You know, you know we might think, well, it's not falling not doing complete obedience that's, that's not so big such a big deal if you're getting onto an airplane and you know that the mechanic's attitude is well you know i i i kind of attached you know tightened eight of the bolts there's ten but at least eight of them are kind of tight would that be something you'd want to fly on <laughs> where's the train <laughs> um incomplete obedience is disobedience iniquity it's a very strong word and has the the root in it to twist or or to distort and so sin is dis, it's twisting God's standards it's twisting uh, my will against his it's it's a perversion of God's ways and so so David is strong on himself when he speaks of a sin but again he says transgression forgiven sin covered it not imputing iniquity. But he wants us to see. Notice so often it's common these days when we, we, we speak of sin. We don't even use that word. Uh, they'll tell you in modern uh, church strategy that things like you don't mention sin. And so you talk about mistakes, uh, issues, um, problems. And we have all these euphemisms instead of saying sin. Sin. And David doesn't, he, he he's not using euphemisms when he calls sin transgression and iniquity. But rather he's just trying to, he, he owns it. And he doesn't try to soft pedal it. You know, oh God, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. You rebelled. You twisted God's word and, and standards in your life. When he uses such strong language though, it makes the forgiveness even more precious. If I were to tell you that uh, the judge had announced a, a pardon for my, uh, my offense, that might be good. It depends on what the offense is. If I was doing 40 in a 35 zone, well, that's nice. He'd let me go on the ticket. If it's a capital offense and I was ready for the death sentence that's a more precious thing and so what david is saying is sin is horrible but even that makes god's forgiveness more precious he there's for, then he says you for, you know you have forgiven my transgression my rebellion you have forgiven and, and there's different words for forgiven uh the most common word is not the one that's used here the most common word uh in modern Hebrew, you could use it for excuse me. You bump into someone in the elevator, excuse me. That's not the word here. This word is, he lifted my sin. And there's the, 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 my transgression. There's the picture of, of it being a weight of guilt. God lifted it. And that's one of the joys of forgiveness because and when we carry around our guilt, it can be a burden to be lifted. He, he lifted it. He's, it, we're told he covered our sin that doesn't mean he um covered up covered it up but he covered it in terms of its guilt and shame has been covered to be, so not beyond display but but in other words he's not um, trying to cover up while we continue in it rather he is um he's he's covering it in kindness it says he uh, does not impute iniquity. And, of course, impute is a good biblical term. He doesn't reckon it to our account. Um, Paul uses that term to describe justification. God doesn't reckon our sin to us, but rather the righteousness of Christ when we trust in him. Well, so what this is saying is God chooses not to reckon this to our account. In other words, he's not going to hold it against it. It's not going to be in our record. He's going to purge our record so that we might stand forgiven. He goes on to say, and blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now notice there's no mention of forgiveness here, but rather he's talking about of no deceit. And that word deceit, two things come to mind. First of all, what he's saying here is, um, this, the, blessed is the man who doesn't try to lie to God. Sometimes little children can kind of almost entertain us when they try to deny that they've done something because it's so obvious. You know, have you been playing in the water and, and they tell you, no, the clothes are soaked. There's mud all over the place. No, I've, I've been inside doing my homework all day. And somehow they're, it is kind of like the child that, you know, puts their hands over their face and says, you can't see me. And it's, it's, it's all, it's cute, <laughs> But he's saying, blessed is the man who's not trying to play hide-and-seek with God. Blessed is the man who doesn't try to deny his sin. There is a wonderful freedom when we acknowledge God's omniscience and come to him and say, Father, you know. In fact, you know my heart better than I know my heart. You know, I know how wrong my motives and intentions were when I said or did that. You know better than I. Blessed is the man who, in whom there is no deceit. There's no denial. And again, I'm struck. This is the, in, when the, this word is translated into Greek, this is the same I, word um, when, Dave, when, when Jesus met Nathaniel and said, Ah, an Israelite in whom there is no guile or deceit. And so he's a, Psalm 32 kind of man. He's a man who's walking in God's forgiveness. From there, after having celebrated, if you will, or spoken of the glories of uh, the joy of forgiveness, now he comes to the misery of unrepentance. Have you been there? Or have you seen someone you care about? And you think, why are you wrestling with this guilt? Deal with it get it right before the lord but but they choose not to and it's miserable and so he says when i kept silent as opposed to the man in whom there's no deceit when i kept silent my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was turned into the drought of summer selah and so here he describes this just crushing weight of guilt Kind of, uh, just the way he describes it reminds me of someone who's, who's been being crushed by the weight of of despondency dis- or depression. He's he felt crushed. He felt like he was under a heavy weight of sin. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. Your heavy, your hand was heavy upon me. But just that picture, my bones grew old. I saw some of this lived out yesterday at the workday in the gym. Many of the workers, uh, uh, we could have had an art convention for the, the crowd that was there, and and some probably did go home. And I heard some, at least one, say on the way home, "I'm going to go home and get some Ben Gay." You know, <laughs> there's this, this, that, but the feeling of just um, aching to the bones, just a, a misery. And I don't know if he actually physically hurt and sometimes it can do that it can the emotional result of trying to argue and wrestle with our guilt and god can actually lead to physical manifestations what he's saying is i just felt wiped out my groaning all the day long just he was miserable so he wasn't talking to god so he was talking to himself about how miserable he was he goes on to say day and night your hand was heavy upon me and so he so So God's hand was just kind of on him, on him, on him, weighing him down. Well, that was a hand of love, trying to bring him to repentance, but instead he was trying to resist it. And so instead of seizing God's hand and and welcoming God's hand, it was just the sense of even God's presence troubled him because he wouldn't deal with the sin in his heart. And so so he he was miserable, and what he 's saying is God was actively chastising him now sometimes that could even be um, you know he could his the conscience can be speaking you know the Holy Spirit could be speaking to our conscience sometimes God, in his mercy will bring in physical issues remember or or, or sometimes maybe it 's just the result of the guilt itself and some have suggested in 1 Corinthians eleven when he talks about some of you are sick and dying because you 're not regarding the Lord's table rightly, you know that may have been the direct action of God, or it may just have been the fact just the conscience that was bothering them and caused them to have those issues. But here we see God in mercy, hand heavy, not the the great a great mercy is gotten, God not leaving us alone. Now sometimes we have to we have to know when to Back off and, and let God do the nagging. <laughs> let God speak to the conscience. But we see here God's hand heavy. It's not hatred. It's the loving heaviness of trying to keep us mindful. We need to get right with him. I wonder if sometimes in our, if we're thinking of someone we love and we just see them, they're, in a, they're, they're, they're living in rebellion, they're living for themselves, Maybe we can pray, God, have your hand on them. Let them not have, you know, take away the joy. Make them crave restoration to you. In the case with Bathsheba, we sense that, that, that David was continuing in this, in this state for a year. Because the child w- w- had been born by the time um, he was confronted What a miserable year that would have been. Just knowing he was wrong, knowing he had done wrong, knowing he'd hurt people, knowing the Lord knew, and yet trying to press on without getting right with the Lord. How foolish of David. I've been taking crowd surveys lately and asking for a show of hands. I won't this time. Have you ever caught yourself in that folly? Trying to press through guilt instead of just, Lord, let's get this right. Let's get this right. So God at his mercy, kept His hand upon him, it left him weary and weak, just like the summer heat can sap one's energy. And again, if you've been out, you've—yesterday uh, was kind of nice. We were indoors. Uh, we actually had a, a, a tiny blizzard. Eight to ten snowflakes may have been seen in Kaufman County. <laughs> That's enough to—I was wondering if I needed to put on chains as we were leaving. But, um, but it certainly wasn't that, but sometimes we'll have some of these work days and it, we're almost a little nervous. It seems like we always do the biggest, uh, we're tempted to do these uh, work days and it's, it's August, you know? And, 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 or maybe you've done that out in your yard. Why did I pick the hottest day of the year for this? But, and it just sucks your energy out of you. He said that's what it was like. Now David, remember, <clears throat> he spent time before he was king fleeing from Saul, and the Judean wilderness. If ever you've seen pictures of like the Qumran caves, sand, dirt, hills, that's the Judean wilderness. And like around down by the Dead Sea and all that, it's common temperatures around 120 degrees, a uh, humidity of minus eight. It's just dry and hot. So David knew what that and knew what it meant to be out in the heat and tired. And he said, that's what my sin did to me. It just sucked the energy out of me. Isn't it interesting? Satan is always uh, telling us how fun sin, uh, sin is. Our worldly and, and, and lost friends will tell us, oh, come on. Oh, you're being, a, you're being a, a Pharisee. You're being a legalist. Oh, come on, have some fun. But if we have, a true, if we have God's perspective... This is where that leads. Sorrow, guilt, burden. In 1996, November, a man who had spent 23 years evading the law was finally arrested by U.S. Marshals outside a Tennessee motel. The long flight began when he disappeared to avoid serving a two-year sentence for embezzling. While on the run, the man made millions of dollars by apparently legal means, but he could never use his real name or stay long in one place. After the arrest, the man's lawyer said, if one can feel good about being arrested, I know he feels good that this is going to be behind him. You know, think about it. So the the sentence was two years. I'm not going to go to jail for two years. So he put himself in a jail for 23 years, always looking over his shoulder, afraid someone would recognize him. And living in misery and so his attorney said, He's probably glad it's over and now he can just just get things over with. Maybe you had a time in your life when finally you kinda dealt with sin or was confronted with sin and you were like, Good. I'm glad it's out in the open. I'm tired of hiding it away. Now we speak of repentance and release in verse 5. This is the longest verse of these 11. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions. You notice how he uses all three of those words again. I will, acknowledge, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, selah. So he specifically goes to that list and lists them. Each one of those things, I brought them to the Lord. I acknowledged. I, I've not hidden. I said, I will confess. And you forgave. One of the things he makes clear is um, he, he stopped holding back. He, he stopped trying to act like nothing was wrong. I acknowledge my sin. I've not hidden my iniquity. I confess. Sometimes we, we have partial confession. We'll we, we say, well, okay, I'll, I'll agree to this, but it doesn't really matter. But this sense of confession reminds me of a story I heard. A man wrote a letter to the IRS and said, I am unable to sleep because of the guilt I feel for cheating on my taxes, I've underreported my income. I'm enclosing a check of $1,500. And of course, this was anonymous, but he thought at least he'd get it off his conscience. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) So much for repentance. (laughs) Well, David didn't try that stunt. Lord, my transgression, my sin, my iniquity. You know it. You know it all. And I unburdened it all. And you forgave me. You forgave me. And so there's this, just that sense again of, of the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. And again, there's that word, forgave. You, you lifted it up. You took, burdens are lifted at Calvary. You, you, you lifted the burden off me. Have you ever, maybe you've gone on a long hike with a heavy pack and, uh, and, and you get to there and someone says, Here, let me get that off you. And it's like, Oh, nice. That's how David felt. You forgave, you lifted the iniquity of my sin. When the Lord forgave, the burden was gone. The burden of, of sin that had been on his back gone are you remembering what i remembered when i heard about this pilgrim's progress remember he carried around that heavy pack do you remember that, he, that that john bunyan was a tinker and tinkers fixed pots and pans and so that so to do that they would have to pound things out on an anvil and so as he went from town to town he had to carry his anvil so he, you know, he knows what that means to carry that, that, that a load around. And so he describes Christian as, as coming to the cross. Well, I saw in a dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his his sorrow, and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. This is why I could never be a writer. I would have said he cried. <laughs> but that would, that's not correct. It was the springs of water in his head that, that flowed out. I think John Newton, of course, writes from experience. He, 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 he wrestled with his guilt. And he knew what it was to come to the cross and just feel the lifting of the burden and, and to shed the tears, the tears of joy. Not for the sin, but of the forgiveness, the lifting of it. Well, John Bunyan paints a beautiful picture, but I think probably David paints a better one because he's inspired. But just the sense of joy, the sense of relief, of getting down to business and getting right with God. And so I have to say, if, if, if you're dealing with something, You know, you've been kind of trying to stuff it under somewhere. Stop. You'll feel much better if you just get it right with the Lord. It's not that he doesn't know. Seek him. Find his forgiveness. Well, we see God's care for the repentant. Verses Verses 6 and 7. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in a flood of great waters. They shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Notice he begins for this cause. What forgiveness, restoration, and so there's there's this just the sense of being forgiven now. I have this relationship, but that that idea of uh, when he describes for this cause, everyone who's godly shall pray, and just the forgiving and has since with the Lord, another old name that came to mind is another John, John Newton. Before he died, he, he gave the epitaph that he wanted on his tomb. And it read, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. I, I always see, imagine as he's writing it down, even then his head is shaking. <laughs> preserved, God kept him. He could have died in a sin, but God preserved him. Restored, pardoned, appointed to serve and to preach the gospel. Grace. No wonder he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And so, David now, so fully, freely, forgiven, restored, sees the Lord not as a judge to be feared and avoided, but a father and protector to be sought out in times of trouble. So, so he says, now that I'm right with the Lord, I can look to him for, for my care and for my protection. But when you're not right with the Lord, those doors are closed. If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not my prayer and we just know it's right it's kind of like the sometimes these you know some of these criminals that are they'll they'll do stories about them it's like they're the ones that goof up and so like the um, drug dealer that will call the police because someone didn't pay the full price for the drugs (laughs) you can't you know the whole point is you can't call the police when you're a criminal you can't go to the father when you're in rebellion but now he feels free. Songs, instead of calamity, the Lord preserves. Songs of deliverance. And so, by that word, that word song, you know, some songs are just kind of quiet little songs. This has the idea of loud, boisterous, excited songs. Think of a, think of a, a game when your, team, when, when your team's winning and the whole crowd is just, you know, singing out in joy. And so, even when a, uh, things are difficult, I can cry out to the Lord. In verses eight to eleven, he says, "Choose." He gives some counsel and says, "Choose mercy, not misery." I'll just tell you up front: before I start reading this, uh, again, it's hard. Who's speaking here? Is it David, or is it the Lord? Well, I I think the clue at the end when he says, I will have my eye upon you. Well, David can give us counsel, but he can't assure us he's going to have his eye upon me. But the Lord does. So I think this is the Lord speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Literally, "I I will guide you with my eye upon you. Do not... Be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. Else they'll not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. And so, this idea of having His eye upon us has the idea of, you know, He's He's watching you, He's caring for you. Um. A couple other translations I thought expressed it well, ESV, uh, NASB, for example, in the ESV, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So he's not, it's not that somehow that eye, his eye leading, you're not quite sure what that means. Literally, it's my eye will be upon you. In other words, I'll be watching you. So it's one thing to guide, but to, to guide and watch, that's even better. And... Maybe you as a parent have kind of told your child, go over here and go there. And, and the whole time you're watching. Just, They okay? That's the, God gives us direction and he's watching. So he, he not only counsels, he protects. And so I think that's where he's, he's speaking here. This verse, actually, uh, uh, Corrie ten Boom wrote this about Psalm 30, this verse. When my parents were married many years ago, they claimed Psalm 32, 8 as their life verse. The promise which they felt was God's assurance for them. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you will go. I will guide you with mine eye. Of course, they would have quoted it in Dutch, and I don't know, have any idea how that read. This promise became the special directive for my life as well. And so as she writes, as how she just trusted that the Lord would guide her, and protect her, and then one of the examples, I think she cited in using this verse, is uh, I think she was trying to come to America, she'd been invited to come and share her testimony, um, but they wouldn't, you know, th- th- whoever it was over there, and I guess the Netherlands wasn't going to let her exit, and they kept refusing, refusing, and, and she saw some old family friend, you know, and knew her, and he said, how are you doing? Oh, well, and he said, well, if ever you need anything, uh, here's my number, and he, and he gave her his number, well, it turned out he was head of customs and immigration. So next time she went to that window and they said, oh no, we can't let you go. And she said, well, would you do me a favor? Would you just call this number? person got on the phone and quickly, yes, ma'am, here we go. (laughs) You're you're through. You know, she just took that one more. God's eye was upon her. A child of God can have that sense of God's, God will guide, God will protect because we're his child, Any parent knows that that's their heart for their relationship to their child. How much more? God, who's the perfect parent? On the other hand, many sorrows, we're told, will be to the wicked. So would you rather be guided and guarded, or many sorrows will be to the wicked? But saying that, there's not a sneer and a delight that's why are you getting yourself in trouble i'll take care of you why why are you choosing sorrow but the path of wickedness and the path of rebellion is a hard path again if you've watched a child or someone you love and they're making bad decisions you just keep shaking your hand and say you're, you're, you're making yourself miserable and if we do that for someone we're watching what does god say to us I'm reminded. I like the King James reading of Proverbs thirteen fifteen. Good understanding gives, giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of if, if, if you choose sin, you've chosen a hard path with thorns and thistles. And you know that old story, boy. When I went to school, I walked up. I walked uphill both to school three miles and back uphill three miles. For the transgressor, they actually can find a way to do that. You're always choosing the uphill path. You're always making it difficult. And those who love you sorrow to see that. The way of the wicked shall be the way. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Verse ten. He he goes on. But but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy. That's that word chesed. We sometimes talk about mercy shall surround him instead of oh all this weight of of, of sorrow upon us, surrounded by mercy. Surrounded by mercy. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So instead of those sorrows, he says, you can have the, the joy, the gladness, being surrounded by God's mercy. Who has that? You upright in heart. Again, what did Satan say? God doesn't love you. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. Doesn't it look good? And the sorrows and the heartaches that came. You wonder in heaven, will there be a long line of everyone who talks to Adam and wants to talk to Adam and Eve? (laughs) Look what you did. But all of us, have to confess, would have done the same thing. But the sorrows that have been brought... On the other hand, what's he say? Glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, shout for joy, you upright in heart, because your Father will care for you. So two two main things I think out of this. If you're dealing with sin in your life, stop. Repent. Get it out. Get right. Let your burden roll off at the cross. For those of you who are praying for one, keep praying that God in his mercy keep his hand. But the reminder to all of us, the way of the transgressor is hard. Every day we're going to have a chance to take that path. But oh, the joy when we're surrounded by God's mercy, trust him. Choose the path of joy. Follow him. Father, we thank you for the liberation and joy and your forgiveness. The amazing thing, Father, is we don't deserve it. We deserve this misery and more. Thank you for the grace that lifts up our guilt and restores us to fellowship with you. Lord, keep us there, near you. With our eyes on you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.